Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Sam Newell, your host, and it is my goal to educate you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. I interview the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they have learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become my goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. All right. Well, Jens, thank you so much for jumping on my podcast. I've known you for what? When did we first meet? In Chicago? I think so. It's been probably a year and a half or something. Chicago. So it was a year ago in August that we met at Boot Camp and... You've done some really big things, and, and it's been fun watching you take down deals and and um, just, yeah, doing deals and, and investing in real estate. So for our listeners, Jens, how long have you been in real estate or real estate investing? Hey, Sam. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm pretty excited about you know, kind of connecting with you and talking about the common passion here. So yeah, I've been in real estate probably coming up on three and a half, four years now since I started investing, you know, follow the traditional path of working and getting good at job and paying into saving my 401k until one day I realized that's not going to work in the long run. So I discovered real estate investing after that. There you go. Okay, so three, four years and you started as a kind of a passive investor first, right? Am I right? Yeah, it's kind of a mix, right? I bought a couple of smaller property, a couple of fourplexes in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But then also, you know, I started doing, you know, listening to the podcast, you know, reading blogs and stuff. And so I I felt like, hey, if I'm going to put some of my my own, my money into it, I I better also do it on the the passive side through my my self-directed IRA just to kind of go, you know, jump both feet in the boat you know, just to really get the exposure from actively and passively and see what I liked best and so forth. Right. So I kind of did both at the same time. Awesome. You know, it's funny you say that. I just interviewed a gentleman who specializes in helping people take their you know, self-directed 401ks, IRAs, and invest into real estate and other businesses and, and um, syndications or flipping. And I think that's one of the smartest things you can do, especially if you have a Roth, you know, because then all the money you make is tax-free. But what I wanted to start with is, you know, you've been in real estate for a few years. You're doing really cool projects with some people that I know and respect, and you've taken down a lot of units. You're doing some cool stuff. But take me back, oh, I don't know, to when you are a teenager. You're not from the U.S. You're an immigrant from Denmark, right? That's right. So were you thinking you'd be a syndicator and, and buying millions of dollars of real estate back then? Or what were you thinking about as a teenager? In debt? <laughs> that was the furthest from my mind as it possibly could be, right? I mean, real estate was something you lived in. It was the house you, you know, you, you grew up in or whatever. That was as, as far as real estate went. And even when I started, like, you know, as a young adult looking, looking to find a place to live, you know, I didn't never even thought about who were the people that owned these properties, right? It was just, hey, I need a place to rent. Let me see to find some somewhere where I can I can rent and so forth. You know, I think my first actual investment was we, I couldn't actually find a rental. This is the thing that's crazy, but back then it was so hard to find rentals in in Copenhagen where I, where I lived for a while. So we bought a, me and some friends. We pretty much created a a, a JV 
of an apartment. We bought this old, like five or six bedroom apartment building, like the 1800. And we each, you know, put, put like, it was like two grand down or whatever it was. And we, you know, we basically did a JV, got a mortgage and came up with a down payment. And we, we owned that, uh, we owned that apartment. And actually, once I moved, we, I sold my share to somebody else who then took over and, and, and so forth. So coming to think of that, that was my first, real estate investing i guess i did so that's awesome so you guys did a joint venture how old were you then when you did your first joint venture without even knowing it <laughs> i would even know what it was right it was uh i was in my early 20s i had just moved i grew up in the countryside you know middle of nowhere and that was my i got a job in the big city of copenhagen and i moved there and you know saved a little bit of money and that was yeah i think 21 22 something like that is, is my the age i have and I wish I still had that apartment because they've gone through and modernized that part of the city. So that thing is probably worth 20 times what it was 20 oh. years ago, you know? <laughs> wow. Cool. Well, you know, I'm curious. I don't get a lot of people that um, are immigrants on the show. Tell me about growing up in Denmark, you know, as a kid and, and outside of Copenhagen in the, you know, I guess, is it farmland or, or kind of tell me about that? Yeah, I grew up in the farmland in, in the countryside, literally, on a small old, it used to be a farm and my parents didn't, didn't farm. They had a big garden and we grew, it's a funny story. We grew all the potatoes, Denmark and, you know, along with some of the other Northern countries eat a lot of potatoes. We grew, have a big garden. So we grew all the potatoes that we ate for the whole year for a family of four. We grew them in our own garden. We wow. pretty much had potatoes. I'd swear every single day. <laughs> it was a treat if we could have pasta or something like that growing up. It was potatoes, um, boiled potatoes every day. <laughs> well, I'm from Idaho, and that's all people oh, know. That's right. Potatoes, right? So <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But we never grew any. We just had all the farmers around us where we bought, you know, sweet potatoes, yams, any type of type of potato you can think of. What we got. So absolutely. You grew up as a not really a farmer, but growing your own food at the garden with your family. And what did your parents do? Yeah, my mom was actually, she was a, um, a lab technician at a local dairy because another thing Denmark is famous for is, is, is milk or dairy production, right? So she was a lab technician, make sure the, the milk was safe. And my dad, he, he, he was a truck driver. He actually delivered milk to, to, to various, well, he used, early on, he was picking up milk from the dairy farms and delivered to the dairy. Later on, he was delivering the final product out to the stores and stuff like that. So and I actually, as a teenager, I worked in the dairy too. So that was like where everybody went to work in the small town I was in, right? Luckily, I I had bigger plans and bigger ideas. So I didn't get stuck there for the rest of my life. But that dairy is still in full production. So That's cool. So so milk and potatoes was what you had growing up, basically. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny. We have a similar, you know, I grew up in Utah until I was about nine or 10. And then, or I guess till I was 11 and then Boise, Idaho. And Boise... I think our total population is a couple hundred thousand. So it's small town compared to a lot of people in the U.S. But I was on the outskirts. So we had cornfields and potato fields, onion fields all over the place. And and one thing I didn't want to do either is get stuck in, in Meridian and, or Boise, Idaho. And, and that's an interesting, interesting, similar childhood growing up next to farms. Wow. Tell me what took you out of, of that and... and sounds like you got in the tech industry or, or where'd you go from there? 
Yeah. So, you know, when I moved to Copenhagen, I got in, got my first job. Actually, it was in the telecommunication industry. This was in the early 90s. So it's you know, 26, seven years ago. So it was a while ago. And I was in telecommunication and um, I was working for the Danish telco. Then that was before competition was really open. And I actually was working with some guys out of uh, the UK, out of uh, London, England, who, who at one point in line, I remember 1994, they offered me a job to come to London, England to work for them in, they were doing some implementation of some hardware and software. And they're like, Hey, you got the right skills. Do you want to come to the UK and work with us? Like, yeah, what can possibly go wrong? <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, at 23 years old, I moved to London, England and my English was serviceable, but not that great. Right. So it was a bit of a culture shock to come from a million Copenhagen, like a million people, and, and London was like 8 million people. But hey, I was young, and that was all kinds of fun to, to, to live there for a while. There you go. Cool. <laughs> and you had to learn English. That's neat. I had, you know, had English in school for probably 10 years, but if you don't speak it every day, you gotta, it takes a little time to, to, to get very fluent in it. Right? Yeah. Well, same with me. I, you know, I took Spanish in high school, and my church, I, you know, I did a two year mission for my church, and they sent me to Peru. And so you go to nine weeks of Spanish intense all day long Spanish classes. And then they shipped me out to Peru and, and I had to, you know, teach Christianity from the Bible in Spanish. And I, I so I, I had the reverse. I don't know how it was for you learning English, but I could speak it very easily. I could read it, but I could not understand what people were saying. I was just like, <laughs> it took me two months until I could start really and most of my fellow Americans could understand, but they couldn't talk, they couldn't read. So I don't know how it was for you, but I just could not understand what people were saying. It was it was a mix. I mean, because, you know, the, the school English we learned was very different than the English you speak in the pubs in the, in England, right? And just with different accents and everything else, right? Because I'd watched plenty of, you know, movies and TV shows that, was, that were in English, but just... Brita's English is very different and, and if you have an accent too. So it was a mix. It was, it took a little while to get up to speed on everything, you know. Got it. So how'd you wind up in the U.S. from the U.K.? So that was the same company. It was really an American company actually with its affiliate uh, office in, in London. And in 1996, they were like, you know, we need, they were selling telecommunications communication equipment all over the world and they wanted somebody in the headquarters in the u.s to travel everywhere so i moved to the u.s in 1996 and proceeded over the next several years to travel literally like everywhere i was probably in every european or western european country i was you know southeast asia malaysia the philippines hong kong japan and just doing that was when you know tele telecommunication was booming so I just yeah. traveled everywhere, which is a great experience because I always, I got so comfortable being in an uncomfortable place or a different place. Like, Hey, you fly somewhere and you're like, okay, I don't know the language. I don't know the city. I don't know, even know I'm going tomorrow. Well, I always have an address, but just kind of throwing myself out there. And that was a huge kind of growth opportunity for me personally, because I, you know, as I mentioned, growing up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, that, to that experience of traveling the world was just, it's pretty awesome. So that was, that was a great experience. That's really neat. So, very cool. So you, I mean, you've literally been everywhere. That's, that's cool. man. <laughs> so, so are you still traveling quite a bit or, or tell me what you're doing now? You know, I travel for, 
for my you know my real estate business and then for for pleasure i mean i was in italy this year on vacation met up with my my sister and her family in italy and um so not the international travel is not so much, not i mean into denmark occasionally to see the family there so yeah so, so you, you're traveling a little bit but for pleasure but didn't you go mountain biking in the alps or something or didn't i, I saw something on facebook yeah, that was the trip to Italy, Northern Italy this summer. I brought my mountain bike over there and did some mountain biking and some road riding and stuff. That's kind of my big, uh, that's my big hobby is the cycling. Hence, where I live now is awesome because I live in, in southwestern Colorado right in the mountains here. So I get to do a lot of that. I think I saw a Facebook post last week. You were mountain biking in a blizzard. <laughs> well maybe it was you know we get a little bit of snow here and there so <laughs> i think it may have been a facebook live in a snowstorm yeah that's, <laughs> that's awesome you gotta have a fun hobby that gets you out and you're very active so that's cool but so you travel a lot less now you you have your day job but tell me where how you split your time you you're doing a ton of real estate investing you help a lot of uh you know limited investors uh get into these deals that you're also doing but tell me how you kind of split your time up yeah, so I think, you know, yes, I still have a W-2 job. You know, I'm an IT manager and uh, and I do all this real estate stuff. But really what I've found is it's it's around being very disciplined around your time and say, okay, these, you know, plan out every day, right? So I get up at 5 a.m. and I really spend like the first hour every day doing my hour of power, as I call it. You know, an hour, it's like 20 minutes of some strength or, or yoga exercise, 20 minutes of kind of, reviewing my goals and do some journaling affirmations and visualization. I'm kind of big into that whole personal development stuff. And then yeah. 20 minutes, uh, either reading something, you know, growth, either business or, or inspirational or something. So really just start the David intention. And then I kind of look at what do I want to achieve today? Right. Yeah. You know, and then, then I go to work, I'm in the office by seven in the morning. Right. So by the time I'm there, I've already been out of bed for like over two hours and done more than most people probably get accomplished in a day. Right. Um, you know, then I have some flexibility around my job that, you know, breaks and other things. I can make some calls and, answer some emails and stuff, you know, but then at lunch, I pretty much go and exercise again because I really, if you, I want a healthy body that supports a healthy mind, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to get to, I see a lot of people like, oh, I don't have time to exercise. Well, you better have time to be sick then because if you don't take care of yourself, that's where you're going to end up. So that really pay, uh, plays a high importance on, on that staying fit. And, that's, huge. That, that's really important. I I used to get to the gym by 5.30. My buddies I work out with now, I think we're at 6 a.m. But that's huge. I mean, you, you start the day off so much better. If you're healthy, you get your blood flowing. I drink a ton of water in the morning because that helps. But, yeah, I, I get questions. I have this kid I mentor. He just he liked the car I drove. He messaged me on Facebook said, hey, will you be my mentor? And I was like, okay. I don't have time to go to the gym. I'm like, well, what time do you get up? He's like, well, I get up at 7. I'm like, well, I'm usually – working by seven and I've already been to the gym and, and I'm, I've spent time making my kid breakfast and 